Dotnet Rocks episode 650 with guest Oren Eni. Recorded live Wednesday, March 16th, 2011. This episode is brought to you by Telerik and by Franklin's.net, training developers to work smarter. And now offering video training on Silverlight 4 with Billy Hollis and SharePoint 2010 with Sahil Malik. Order online now at franklins.net. And now here are Carl and Richard. Hey, Rockheads. What's up, man? Richard. Sir. It's Richard and Carl. You're a Rockhead. We're all Rockheads. I've been a Rockhead for some time. Yes. What's up? You know, just plunking my way along. Uh, the spring is obviously here because the allergies are running hard and the antihistamines are thick and fast. Oh, my God. I'm still a little groggy. Oranini is going to be here in a second, but first, let's get into Better Know a Framework. All right. What so, do you got? durable services. Durable services? In WCF. Durable oh. services. The idea is that the framework can persist the service instance after you've invoked a method. And when a future method invocation comes down, uh, it can pull that out from the persistent store and pass the call to the same instance. So whenever you have a long-running service in WCF, right, that's how you do it. And you can use the persistence provider. There's a great sample in the MSDN documentation f- to uh, create a file persistence provider. Mm-hmm. So uh, basically the state of the service instance is stored in files on your computer. It sounds like you take a bit of a performance hit, but if you need to carry state information around on a long-running process like that, it makes sense. Yeah. Well, you know, and the idea is, too, that there's a provider, and there's an interface, and there's right. an interface to create a, a factory for it. So, Well, and there lies the important part. You don't have to invent this yourself. Yeah, and you don't have to use files. There's just, it's just an example of how to do that. So if you go to tinyurl slash durable service demo, uh, you'll see that file persistence provider sample. And that'll get you started. Hey, man, it's WCF. It's good. It's still, I find people still threatened by WCF because it, it's one of those things where the simple stuff works really easily. And as soon as it gets complicated, it gets really complicated. Yeah, you just call Ingo Rammer. <laughs> or Yuval. Or Yuval, yeah. yeah. There's some scary, smart people out here that have deeply immersed themselves in the hard bits of no, WCF. There's lots of great samples out yeah. there. And there's, you know, it's, yeah, it's configuration, but. You know, it's it's not that bad. No, I, I like this. I like the file persistence idea. That's good. Yeah. So cool. that's it. Who wants a mug, Richard? Ah, uh, uh, Kyle Sislenski. I'm not afraid of Polish names, I'm telling you. But he's actually talking about DNR TV. Hey, dudes. I just listened to the DNR TV today with Bill Wagner yeah. on dynamic typing. I was really, really ecstatically happy to hear fellow champions of static typing. Yep. It's all too often that my coworkers or other people online tout the benefits of making everything in your application dynamic, and it makes me physically ill to yeah. have to listen to it. Yeah, he was very pragmatic about it. Mm-hmm. Bill always is. Hyperbole aside, I think if you cannot design a system to work with static typing, then there's probably something wrong with your design sense. I think that's a little severe, but I agree that the, you know, 80% of the cases fit nicely into static typing, maybe even 90%. But there are certain scenarios where dynamics make more sense. That's right. Thanks again for the awesome presentation. I am looking forward to hearing Bill discuss the new async stuff. And he signs off with a static typer's gonna type. Well, 
And if you want to uh, see all about the async CTP, the very next show on DNR TV, Stephen Taub on the Visual Studio Async CTP. Nice. Show number 188, dnrtv.com. There you go. And yeah, if you haven't checked out dnrtv.com, we need your eyes, but it's worth it. Oh, it's definitely worth it. Good stuff. And Kyle, thanks so much for your email. Uh, and if you've got questions, concerns, ideas for a show, just want to tell us about something you really, really liked, you can send us an email, .netrocks at franklins.net, or better still, go to the website, pull up the show in question, and make your comment right there. Hey, you know what, Richard? What's up? We really got to do another live weekend soon. You do, huh? I'm thinking. You're ready. Yeah, That I was am. a lot of work. That was fun, though, wasn't it? It was fun, yeah. It was very intense. And, you know, we're going to be doing some more live broadcasting from different shows. So, uh, you know, if there's if there's some stuff that you, some events that you have that you want to do, this sort of live streaming video and audio to phones, this is a new service from Pwop Studios. So let us know. Maybe we can work something out. Definitely. We're always trying to push the edges on what podcasting is all about. Absolutely. Well, I'm very, very happy to welcome back to the show Oren Eni, a.k.a. Ayende Rahin. Oren is working for Hibernating Rhinos, LTD, an Israeli-based, that's the name of his company, an Israeli-based company producing developer productivity tools for OLTP applications such as nHibernate Profiler, Link to SQL Profiler, Entity Framework Profiler, and more. Oren's main focus is on architecture and best practices that promote quality software and zero-friction development. Oren's the author of Rhino Mocks, one of the most popular mocking frameworks on the .NET platform, and is also a leading figure in other well-known open-source projects, including the Castle Project and N-Hibernate. Welcome back, Allende. Hello. Hi, Kyle. Hi, Richard. I remember when you were working on that uh, profiling tool for Entity Framework. I think we were at um, Ordev. Yeah, we were at the Bishop's Arms Pub, and you were doing that. <laughs> the, while we were playing guitar, singing, and having a good time, you were in the corner mm-hmm. writing code. I love that. Yeah, me and Judy. Well, and, and, and you had that look, man. You had that obsessive, I must write code now look. <laughs> You, just, you were rolling. You were in the zone. You, you know how it works. There is, uh, there is an itch, and if you don't scratch it, you cannot sleep. Uh, yeah, dude, team. you're really itchy. I know the feeling. <laughs> <laughs> Being uh, having uh, a little touch of the OCD myself. Uh, but Richard and I have learned to harness our OCD for the powers of good, so that's pretty much how it works. Yeah. And you too. Mm, Jeez, what are you working on these days, Oren? What, uh, what are you obsessed uh, about today? Bunch of stuff, but the major one that I'm working on right now is Raven DB. Raven DB. Yeah. So you decided you needed to create a new data storage solution? Uh, yeah, actually, I decided that I need a new animal because I pretty much run out of rhinos. <laughs> okay. You need a new animal because you've run out of rhinos. Is that what you said? Yes. All right, I'm just trying to figure this out. So I'm, I'm just trying to figure uh, out what possess. Why do we need another yeah, one? Yeah, why? Uh, the basic idea is very simple. RavenDB is a NoSQL document database for the .NET platform. And the major issue with uh, relational databases is that they are so very good in doing what they need to do that we have started utilizing them for everything. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
They aren't actually very good in doing everything. No. I mean, let me let me rephrase this. They can be made to work for just about everything that you want, but it is not necessarily the most efficient route to go, or even the most, uh, or even an efficient route. Think, for example, of something very simple. Okay, so now I want to see an order page. Yeah. So given given that I have in the order ID, show me the order page. Now, the problem with doing something like that is that it takes something like 15 queries, 15 SQL queries, just to load all of that information. Right. Yeah. Because you have to look at the orders table and the order lines table mm. and in the customers table and mm. the products table and the review tables, if you're not lucky. And whole bunch of tables that you have to go and look to find some pieces of the, the information that is related to a single order. Right, and you can either do that with lots of joins, which slows you down, or you can do multiple mm -hmm. queries, which is also slow. Yeah, So, and the problem is basically unsolvable in terms of using the relational model, because the relational model assumes very strongly, it doesn't actually assume, it forces you to work with only tables and rows and columns. Mm. And... As it turns out, most of the data functions that you're working on right now, most of the object models that you're working with, are not actually a very good fit for these rows, uh, rows and columns models. We're working with complicated object graphs. We're co working with composite object models. And even something that, that seems to be a, a very natural to put in a relational database turns out to be very, very hard. I routinely have to go to help people figure out how do I actually just load my data from the database? Because if I do that, the, you know, the right way, I'll turn on my form and everything, then I have dozens and dozens of queries for every single page sheet. Mm. It's just ridiculous. Mm -hmm. And the main problem is that go back 15 years. And 15 years ago or 20 years ago, what was the most advanced uh, uh, UI uh, available, the master detail form. Mm -hmm. That was basically what you said. Master detail. Right. Green screen, really. Master detail is perfect for uh, uh, showing you the detail from the relational database. Because, you know, you have maybe uh, two queries, one for the master, one for the details. That's it. But uh, as UI has evolved, as users have started to ask more and more from us, the amount of information that we have to supply for every given request has become enormous. And we are starting to hit some pretty bad, uh, uh, hit very strongly the limitation in the actual data structures, in the actual data, uh, database, mm -hmm. because we cannot get anything from a relational database that is in rows and columns. So there are multiple solutions for uh, this problem. Usually when people talk about the NoSQL movement or the NoSQL databases, they're talking about stuff like, okay, I'm Google. I have to store all of the information in the world. Well, I cannot find a relational database to do that, so I have to build my own database to do, to do something like that. Mm -hmm. But that is only applicable if you're Google. And there aren't that many people who actually need Google, Google, uh, the Google uh, level of scaling. So another option is that because Google has started, uh, started doing that, they have made it 
an acceptable solution. People start building solutions that didn't rely solely on relational databases. And there are now good solutions for structuring your application based on a non-relational data source. Mm-hmm. And with RavenDB, uh, the model that we use is the notion of a document. Right. And you can think about, and you can think about the document. This is not a Word document or PDF document. This is a, an object model. Is it a JSON document? Yes. Yes. So the native storage format for a RavenDB is a JSON document. Right. Now, JSON document is a very simple format from conceptual level, but it, a, just about any object structure that you can think of can be serialized to JSON. Mm-hmm. And because, now let's go back and think about our uh, uh, order example. The order document now contains all of the related information. So it contains who was the customer. Right. It contains all of the order details. Uh, now, this is, uh, this is the same um, logically, this is the same object, but in the uh, uh, relational database example, it's set in multiple tables. So in Raven, it is going to sit as a single entity, as a single item. Right. If I want to go and grab that item, this is a single request to the server, and this is basically a, a, a get me that value by ID. Right, so I think the issue occurs, or the, the issues come up then. Mm-hmm. What what happens when you want to do some queries that aggregate a lot of this stuff together? Now now that task becomes that task becomes slower, doesn't it? Like if I say I want all the orders where, um, you know, the, with some sort of criteria where the customer mm-hmm. you know lives in this zip code and the order was less than four hundred dollars and it was placed between this date and that date. Um, but what you're asking is not the type of uh, is the type of question that you usually ask in uh, um, reporting scenarios, in right. data mining scenarios. Mm-hmm. Uh, for reporting, I still think that uh, all of solutions, relational uh, solutions, are very good because they allow us because uh, you basically break down the data into star schemas and start working on top of that. Yeah. But uh, this is that most often when we're talking about using a document database, we're talking about using that in OLTP scenarios. Right. And another thing that we haven't mentioned is that a RailDB is completely schemaless. That means that you don't have to define anything before you can start putting stuff into the database. And you can have two orders documents, for example, that have two completely different uh, set of fields. And, and looks completely uh, different from one another. And from the perspective of RavenDB, it just works. It knows how to handle that very, very well. Now, the problem with uh, having such a database is, okay, uh, you basically uh, can save JSON documents into Raven, but now the question becomes, how do you get those value out? You can get a, an order out by using the order ID. Oh, the order ID, yeah, right. So, so if you know if you know the if you know the document key, you can get the document out. Yeah, but that is a very uninteresting aspect of the of the database. Yeah. So, uh, what happens if you want to say something like, okay, show me all the orders 
that that uh, that I order. Show me all of my orders. Yeah. And this is something that you that uh, you may very well want to do in an OLTP scenario. Mm-hmm. So in order to do that, you can literally ask Raven, okay, uh, here is my query. Give me all the orders where uh, query equal uh, where customer equal to some number. Mm-hmm. And let me go go and think about it. Well, I don't know what sort of data do I have in the database, but it figures out a. Uh, what you ask him, what you ask it to do, it then starts scanning the entire database. It what's the entire database? It starts to scan the entire database. Oh, scan, okay. And that is a very big thing to do, obviously. Yeah. Because when you have a large data set, right. it's, it's horribly inefficient. Right. So the, the idea here is that we don't just scan the entire database, the equivalent of doing a table scan in a relational database. Mm-hmm. We're actually building an index on the fly. Okay. So the first time that you make a query for something in Raven, we're, we're going to make a, a, a lot of work and just keep it keep it around. We're building the index on the fly and keep it around for the next time that you ask me a question. So anytime I save a new record, let's say it's an mm-hmm. order and it's got a customer defined and a this and a that, every one of mm-hmm. those fields that you're going to create an index for? No. I'm actually going to do the reverse. Every time that you make a query... I'm going to look, uh, Raven has a query optimizer, okay. so I'm going to look and say, okay, can I answer this query based on of one of my uh, uh, existing indexes? I if I don't have an existing index that can answer your query, an index will be created for that purpose. I see. So you, so you only have to do a scan once per type of query. Exactly. So you get a performance hit the first time you query, but after that, you're, yeah. And, pre- and presumably in testing, you're going to end up going through all of those query combinations and end up generating the indexes you need. Yes. Uh, actually, the query optimizer is actually pretty good in filling out just how to, let's say that you want to make a query on order and you, want, you have a query on the uh, a customer and you have a query by um, the state of that customer. So the the query gen- the query optimizer eventually will generate a, an index for both of those fields together. Mm. So that that same index can serve for both of those queries. Mm. Now uh, the fun part is that if you don't use that index often enough to justify it, we're just going to kill that index. Yeah. So we don't have to uh, uh, do any work for that. But if you do make enough use for that that index is going to be escalated and become a permanent index, hmm. which means that it's going to live throughout the, uh, the entire application lifetime. And the reason for that is pretty much for the same reason that we're working with a schemaless database. Mm-hmm. Think about that. In any, in any reasonable application, the moment that you start hitting a, a start getting near to the 2.0 release, you start going into a total panic mode. Because, okay, now, yeah, I have the, the different schema that I have to do, but that is fairly easy because in relation to that, if I don't have the schema, things don't work. But it's much more uh, frightening to go to production and you don't, when you aren't really sure uh, if the data access pattern of the application has changed. So if previously we were uh, uh, querying mostly by uh, these sort of fields and suddenly we change uh, to use different fields, and now we get a different query plan, and suddenly we don't use the appropriate indexes and stuff like that. Mm. Or I have a 
some very memorable location where we actually push a change to production, which which used a query that didn't use any indexes. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our very good friends at Telerik. If you're like me, you're using Facebook on a daily basis. You also might want more control on what you're seeing and how you're seeing it. If that's the case for you, try FaceDeck. FaceDeck is a Silverlight-based client application for Facebook, now supported by Telerik. The product was formerly known as Microsoft Client for Facebook Beta. The news about Telerik taking over the application from Microsoft was announced by Scott Guthrie at his Firestarter event keynote. FaceDeck has a nice, elegant, black finish touch. You can upload photos with a simple drag-and-drop operation from your file system to your FaceDeck. You also have instant access to your webcam. What's more, FaceDeck will save you from notifications from unwanted applications. You only see what you care for. And of course, it's free. Try it at facedeck.telerik.com. And don't forget to thank them for supporting .NET Rocks. The tricky part of indexing is what do you do when you have multiple criteria? Which index do you use? So if I'm looking for a particular customer that ordered a certain product, mm-hmm. then you know, and bring back only those orders, uh, it's up to your query parser to essentially decide which index makes more sense, the product index or the customer index. Mm-hmm. And that is, uh, when you're talking about relational databases, this is usually a blackout. Yes. Yeah, the guy that comes and sits against the data, and I, I literally saw someone looks at the database schema for half an hour, type two sentences, hit, uh, hit the phone that says, okay, that will work, and go away. I think he, for that two hours, he took, he took home something like a, a monthly salary for most people. <laughs> Yeah, he yeah. was well. There, those guys, and there's only a handful of them. Jim Gray, mm-hmm. you know, uh, rest in peace, was one of them that that really understand how to build great query parsers. Because the, I mean, the thing as a SQL guy, what blows my mind about SQL Server doesn't matter how I write the SQL. If it's supposed mm-hmm. to return the same set, it'll get the same query plan. And and this <laughs> is the battle as you start getting into more and more elaborate data structures. Is I put a bunch of different criteria for filtering. How do mm-hmm. you figure out how to optimize that query? He's Ayende Rahin. What do you mean? How does he do it? He's awesome. <laughs> uh, not really. I literally simplified the problem until it was very easy to solve and said that, okay, this is what we are doing. And if you want more than that, well, you have to help me here. But mm. uh, basically, with, with Riven, with specifically with this approach, is that uh, okay, you go to production with a new system, and the first few t- the first few minutes of the system is going to be slow because you have a different data access behavior. Mm-hmm. But as your application behavior changes, so will the optimization that will uh, uh, will use. So it will automatically configure itself to run as best as it could, as best it could based on the actual. The behavior of the system. Yeah. So that was something that uh, we were very proud of. That's cool. Uh, actually, uh, I want to just be very precise. I didn't try this part. And uh, we had uh, RevenueBee's uh, open source project with the commercial option. So uh, one of the guys who were working on the project, literally came to me and says, Oh, and I think we can do something here to make, th- to make life easier. And I said, 
no, you can't. And he said, yes, we can. I said, no, you can't. And we we argue about that for a while, and I kept saying, no, you cannot do that. Eventually, I said, okay, you know what? Just show me the code. I don't, I don't follow what you're t- talking about. Yeah, you don't believe him, but you'll let him do it. Hmm. Yeah. So next next day, he came back and he shows me the code. I'm like, wow, I would have never thought about doing this this hmm. way. Hmm. And this is <laughs> this is a spectacular uh, uh, thing to have. Just you know. The ability to based based on whatever criteria that you want, you can query a schemaless database. Uh, most people don't really understand how how doing something like that can be. Mm. And the solution that we came up with, with basically analyze your query and automatically figure out what you actually want to do, mm-hmm. is very very powerful. Mm. Now, Oren, mm-hmm. and I'm going to put my SQL hat on here. Yeah, because I'm I'm an old school SQL guy, literally from the '80s. Watch out, Orin. Mm-hmm. Here it comes. Here it comes. So here's some things. You know, there's some things we came to expect about databases that I think a lot of people have forgotten about. Yeah, and the main one is transactional reliability. Okay, you know, that, of course. That if I say write this data and you said you wrote it, I should be able to pull the plug out on the machine, and when I plug it back in, it's there. Okay, and the problem being is. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm being I'm being facetious here. Let, let, let me let me let me try to uh, answer that in full. Uh, there are different reliability guarantees that different NoSQL databases will give you. So if you go to something like MongoDB, MongoDB writes everything to memory. Right. Eventually, it will go back. It will go go and write it to disk, maybe. But basically, it writes it write it to a memory source. And I look at that and I think that this is insane because you know, if you pull the plug, you you not only lose data, you may literally lose the entire database. Right. Well, but it's fast. Yeah, it's very very fast. That's that's the benefit. Now. Uh, when building a RedMDB, one of the, the uh, major design considerations was that I like transactions. I really, really like working with knowing that, you know, either all the way or none at all. Mm. So RedMDB is uh, ACID compliant. It supports basically, a, you know, a transaction on a single document, on a set of documents, on multiple requests. It even supports multiple transactions. Uh, sorry. Uh, distributed transactions. Okay. Okay. And so you're actually supporting system.transaction so that if I know how to yes. do transactions in SQL, I know how to do transactions here? Precisely. Do you have a link interface to the database? Is that how we use it? Is that how we query? Yeah. So from the command, from the uh, code, from the uh, the code API, you actually have multiple levels of uh, API that you can use. From you know the most basic, here is how you make requests to the server, uh, to full blown uh, API, including a, a session interface, unit of work, a link implementation, the whole box. Okay. The the major idea was that I really wanted you to be able to look at a DB client API and literally see and understand how this works. You would be able to uh, uh, use your previous knowledge from working with Enhardnet, from working with Entity Framework, or into SQL. Oh, yeah, I understand how it works. Uh-huh. Because you've already done that so many times before. Right. 
So the other side of ACID was also the consistency model. How does more than one person access the same document at the same time? RevenDB actually implements a full consistency at the document store. That means that a, a basically you get read committed access for everything. I can modify a document inside a transaction, and obviously we, you will not be able to see that until the transaction has been committed. But there is also the index store. Now, one of the things that a, a Raven has done is that, you know, with um, relational database, the more indexes that you have, the slower rights become, right? Right. Now, I didn't like that. And there are other databases that take the other approach. So the more indexes you, you have, the slower reads become. And I didn't like that very much either. So what I, what I decided to do is that no matter how many indexes you have, and we have customers running with 500 indexes plus Ouch. on the yeah. database, yeah, uh, indexes do, do, does not, the number of indexes or the work that indexes do, do not store neither writes nor reads. Now, we are doing that in a, in a, a very funny way, at least a uh, very interesting way. And the way that we are doing that is we're basically saying something like this. Okay, when I'm writing a new, a, a new document, when I'm updating a document to disk, I'm not doing any work regarding indexing. So on the background, uh, all the indexes are waiting for work. So the moment that there is a new document in, they start indexing uh, the thing and pushing that to the index store. So we actually have two different uh, uh, stores involved. One of them is the index store, and one of them is the document store. The document store is fully ACID compliant. Transaction, safe, durable, consistent, all of that thing. Right. The index store is reading from the a document store whenever there is a change, but it is allowed to uh, to get to give you all the results. So think about think about something like this. Let's say that you just uh, uh, you 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 have done the following two things. You have uh, sent uh, you have updated some uh, document, and immediately you queried the database for uh, for something. Now, we didn't have the chance yet, we're talking about literally uh, milliseconds and uh, uh, sub-milliseconds range here. Right. And we didn't have yet the time to uh, cap to get your new update and index that. Mm-hmm. So what we're actually going to do is to say something like this. Okay. Uh, I'm going to take your uh, your document. And I'm going to take your query, and I'm not going to make you wait until I finish doing all of the indexing work. What I'm actually going to do is to give you the result as as I have it right now, which is accurate to a few milliseconds ago. I'm also going to tell you that this is, that the information that I just gave you back may not be the most accurate that I have. So you do have some sense when the index is out of consistency with the data? Yes. Okay. Uh, and we actually have uh, something even more than that. Because when you query, there are actually two things that happen when you query. We we issue the query against the index store to get the list of documents that you need to get back. Right. And then we query the document store to get those documents back. Yeah. So even if the uh, 
the index itself, the, the results from the index are stale, the results from the document store are guaranteed never to be stale. Okay, uh, okay, yeah. Yeah, it, it requires some thinking uh, uh, regarding how we work with that, because, uh, but the ma- ma- major, uh, the, main, the main point that uh, we have to consider here is that when you, you, when you make a query, you, have, you may get results that aren't up to the millisecond accurate. And most people hear that and they freak out. <laughs> what do you mean? I mean, seriously. Yeah. That's, that's what they do. Sorry, SQL Server would block your query until that write was completed. Yes. Right? That would be a read-committed approach. And until it finished updating all the indexes related to this write. So SQL Server will indeed uh, block, your, block your query while a write is in progress and until all of the indexes have been updated. Right. The problem with that is that it, it, it can be the case where whenever you make a write, a lot of freedom suddenly is freeze. Because yes. the database has to now start updating all the indexes. And especially if you have a, a even moderate amount of writes on a table, in that ta- and you read a lot from this table, then suddenly it becomes a, somewhat of a hotspot, especially if you do a lot of range seeks on that table. Mm. So what we're doing instead is saying, okay, reader will not wait for writers, and writer will not wait for readers. Okay. And... Because we're doing that, we may give you results that are out of date. Again, we're talking about very short amount of time here. And for the most part, you really don't care. Think about it. Uh, what fields do you really care if we issued the query a few milliseconds uh, before or after a certain date, a certain uh, uh, point in time? And you can optionally choose, you know what, for this query, I want it to be uh, accurate up to right now. So we can literally, uh, 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 for that particular query, we will wait until that uh, that query is accurate, until the time that you want it. So is that like a flag I can put in my query, wait for consistency? Yes. Wait for non-stale results as of now. Okay. And things like that. And that basically allows you to say, okay, because think about it. Uh, let's say that now is uh, 12 o'clock. And you issue a query, and I want that information to be accurate as of 12 o'clock. And the problem with uh, trying to make sure that nothing is as of stale is that, you, that if you have enough updates coming in, you may always, you know, you always are trying to catch the, uh, the next update. So you're never really uh, up to date. But you're always, you know, uh, five milliseconds, ten milliseconds behind. Right. So if you tell me I want it to, uh, to be accurate as of specific day, well, I can pretty much guarantee that in short amount of time we will we will get to that uh, to that level of consistency, and then you can get results that are valid for whatever year that you want to do. Okay, uh, I'm so, trying to get my head around how many different documents a typical database would have because I can imagine you know in our order scenario I could go mm-hmm. with one document where all the customer data. All of the order data, all of the line items, everything is in one document. No, you generally want to do that. Uh, a document is generally a, a, a transactional unit. Okay. So th- think about this like that. Uh, you, whenever you modify a transaction, when, whenever you modify a document, you modify the entire document. We provide a way to modify just part of the document, but this is a secondary feature. Usually we think about, uh, when we talk about how do I bundle my data model, 
then I'm thinking about what is the transactional units in which I'm working on. So an order would be a single document. Uh, customer would be a separate document. Uh, because when I'm talking about, okay, if I'm modifying an order, that there is no reason for that to modify the customer. Right. Just for two separate things. Okay. This is something else that really is annoying with uh, relational databases because the unit of transactional uh, safety in, re- in a relational database is the row. Right. And there are many cases where the row isn't really a transactional unit from my perspective. You actually want to lock the whole order, not just yes. a row of the order. Mm. Yes. So when we're talking about a, a full document, this is exactly how it goes. And that makes things such as a, a coarse grain locking. So whenever, so only one person can modify that order at, a, at any given point in time. Very, very easy with, with, uh, with Raven. Because you literally modify that one thing. Concurrency control becomes very easy. You don't have to, you know, to traverse up to whatever, uh, uh, item, whatever role in the database is decided. This is the one that everyone is going to be, be looking on if they want to modify this type of object. Richard, I sense some skepticism in your pause. No, you know, this is the interesting dynamic of how much are you just recreating the relational database here with all of these separate domains of, of documents? Uh, I'm not quite sure that I understand the question. Well, yeah. I mean, if I'm, I'm going to end up with a set of customer documents, a set of product documents, like uh-huh. it, it feels like we're back at the relational database with the exception that order and order details are one thing. Well, yeah, I'm, and that's really the key. I'm thinking that's what he's saying. And I'll let him answer, but I think he's saying that the key is when you query, you don't have to make 15 queries to pull out one document. You just make one. But you're not going to make one. If you actually want to pull up a full order, you're going to pull up the order and the customer information and probably a bunch of product information, too. But that's what's going on behind the scenes, right, Oren? Yeah. Uh, actually, that really depends on the sort of uh, uh, behavior that you want. Uh, if we talk about the order, usually we have the order document contain the order uh, information. It may or may not contain uh, just references to... The customer to the product and stuff like that, right. or it may actually hold. Uh, you know, we will actually uh, denormalize the the uh, the customer. So in the order, we hold both the customer name and the customer ID. Okay. So when I need to pull the order back, I don't have to query for the customer name. And same for the products that you would actually keep the product descriptions in the order as well. You might. Now, Raven actually contains a different feature, which basically says something like that. Okay, now I'm going to load this, uh, this order object. And in this order object, I have a list of products. Mm-hmm. Go to this list of products, and that list of products may be nest deep inside the document, and load all of them together along with this one. But because, now, this is very similar in concept. The, the feature is called include. This is very similar in concept to a joining to a different table. But the major difference that we have here is that this is not a join. It doesn't suffer from the problem that you have with joins, such as, such as cartesian products, such as, uh, uh, you know, if you do an inner join or an outer join and uh, things like that. 
it doesn't it also doesn't uh, uh, affect the uh, the results that you get back you basically have a separate channel for all of those additional items so think about if I'm doing a select style from orders join order lines and I have multiple order lines I'm actually going to get the order information multiple times and as I have to query more and more tables as I have to join to more and more tables I'm getting the quotation product of all of them together the amount of information I get from the database gets ridiculously high and the locking gets really scary too yeah yeah. so which Raven you just say okay I want you to go and look at the customer ID property and load the, the, the document that is involved there. And go and look at all the items in the product collection and load all the items in there too. But it does it once for every item as, uh, uh, that is mentioned. And if that item is mentioned more than once, then you get you still only get that item uh, once. And it doesn't uh, have any of the issues with locking, with quotation products, with all of those sort of things. It just works very, very naturally from our perspective. So I can literally go to the database, give him the order, and all of it as- associated information in one query to the database. It doesn't actually uh, do uh, uh, doesn't actually do a lot of work at all. It's basically thought, okay, I have a query by ID for this document. And then I have a bunch of other query bias. I'm talking about the internal implementation that that we have there right. for all of the associated information, and you get all of that to, all of that back to you in a single call, and you're done. The actual the client API actually contains specific um, specific API to enable you to do that. Okay. And this is very easy and uh, one of the common ways that we have to actually build that, to actually build application on top of Raven. At Franklin's Net right now, you can get a DVD with over 11 hours of Billy Hollis on Silverlight 4 or 14 hours of Sahil Malik on SharePoint 2010, each for only six ninety five. Order online at www.franklins.net. Are you looking to change jobs? Infusion Development has offices in New York City, Toronto, London, Dubai, and Poland. Infusion has hired a whole handful of Happy.net Rocks listeners. Contact me for an introduction at carl at franklins.net. Let me dig into some less sexy stuff that's important when it comes to data mm-hmm. stores. What about backup? Um, okay. Uh, the default approach that we have for a backup is composed of two things. Uh, the underlying data storage that we use, the, the file format on disk, is something called ESENT. How do you spell that? E-S-E-N-T. E-S-E-N-T? Yes. Okay. Now, ESENT is a, a component of Windows, and that component is basically the library mechanism for Active Directory and Exchange. Right. So we basically, uh, we basically, because we are using that component, backing uh, Raven can be done just by uh, go to whatever enterprise backup tool you're using and just backup this directory. You know that eSent is JetBlue, which is really a version of Access. No, we're talking about JetRed. It's an it's an ISAM data store. Oh, the other way around. I don't remember, but we are not talking about Access. That I know. Don't be so sure, my friend. <laughs> uh, no. 
That I literally know that I've spoken with uh, team members and I have the whole history. I just can never recall what is jet blue and jet and what is uh, uh, jet red. Well, jet red is what is what is in access. Jet blue is what's in exchange. But they both come from the same core. Uh, I'm pretty sure this is not the case. But anyway, I know that what I'm using is what Exchange and Active Directory are using. Right. That I can guarantee. And I can tell you that there are 50 years when you have more than five users, which I think Access still doesn't. It all depends on how you do things. People have scaled uh, Jet <laughs> Red a long way. Yeah, yeah, in a very scary fashion. But, I mean, back to the uh, original point on backups. So you're saying you can do yeah. live backups while the system is running? Yes. And that's because you're so, depending on eSense. So you did not try and write that yourself. No. There is also another option if you want to do remote backups. So one of the features that we support is, you know, running on the cloud, um, on Azure, on uh, Amazon, things like that. And there you may not have or a typical example if you're running on a shared hosting. So you may not be able to run uh, whatever tool that you, that you want to use uh, there. So literally, we have a tool we call it the Raven Import-Export uh, Utility, which is called mm -hmm. Smuggler. And you literally just say, okay, let's, given that URL, just get everything from the database and spill it into disk. Okay. And over HTTP, and we're talking about live backup here, over HTTP, it will go and grab everything from the database and uh, shove it into a nice file that you can carry around and this is how uh, we have customers that are literally uh, doing nightly backups over HTTP because they're running uh, on shared hosting. And I guess the question is, how big does the data store get, given that it's you know got some duplicate data in it? Uh, we have a maximum theoretical size of 16 terabytes. Well, that'll uh, have to do. <laughs> the, hmm? <laughs> that'll have to do. <laughs> yeah. Now, if you want more than that, uh, because Raven is a NoSQL database, and because the way it's architected, it's very, very easy to do things like sharding between multiple databases. Really? Yeah. What is how have you done scale testing on this? Like loaded up terabytes of data and seen how it's performed? I've loaded up with uh, I think the number that we had was the entire uh, Stack Overflow uh, data dump. So talking about something like 10 million documents. Do you now have a byte count on that? Gigabytes. Gigabytes. Many, many gigabytes. Many yes. gigabytes. Yes. Okay. And on on that, with millions of documents and with uh, gigabytes of data, we have uh, sub-10 millisecond response times for most queries. And, and it all depends on the indexes for that. Yes. So because we are, because we are um, uh, serving most of the queries directly from the index, and we can literally do those sort of queries very, very cheaply. And here's the question. How long did the first query, does a new query take? In other words, if it has to build an index, how long did that take? Uh, uh, 15 seconds to give you results off top of cold, no index uh, query. Okay. And that is mostly because we actually limit the time that we wait until we have enough information to give you a result. Yeah. So uh, 15, 15 seconds is the hard-coded limit. After that, we say, okay, we're still working on that. 
For the most part, we're talking about uh, sub-second from a cold start to give you some information uh, that matches your query. Okay. And again, this is on the minutes of documents uh, use case. Well, what do you think about that, Richard? Well, and let's face it, if you really, really want to go big, you're probably doing OLAP-related stuff anyway, and and RavenDB is not what you want. Uh, I would actually say that you do want that, because one of the things that we do is we consider ourselves to be an OLTP store. Yeah. We can do some reporting. We can even do some aggregation and nice stuff like that. But for the most part, we're OLTP store. What we do support is the ability to replicate stuff out into a relational database. So you can tell me, okay, I want to take those fields from those documents and shove it into that database, in that relational database, in that table, in those columns. Right. And we'll basically take care of, you know, updating that information for you on the fly. Whenever something changes in, in Raven, it will also be replicated to that relational database. But I presume you do that asynchronously, so I keep my performance up for Raven? Yes, yes. So all of that is done asynchronously. So that, that's my next question, which was the reporting solution. So you've already got yes. a system to replicate into SQL. Yes. And the fun part is, the, okay, we haven't actually talked about what an index is. True. So most of the time when, when, you talk, when you're talking about uh, indexes in a relation, you think about something, okay, I want to uh, index that column, that column. Maybe you have uh, in descending or ascending order, but that's about all the options that you have. Well, you have collations, but you, know, you won't touch that. Uh, with Raven, an index is literally a, a link statement, a link expression. And that link expression can literally do anything that you want to the to the data. Wow. So you yeah. So you can go over your uh, entire object model and do aggregation on the fly and take those aggregation and shove them into a relational database. I, I like that approach because, again, you could hang yourself with this, but if you're careful and work at transactionally relevant sizes like whole orders here, you'll have mm-hmm. eventual consistency into the other store, m- much more reliably exactly. than we did with typical SQL-to-SQL replication where we're always trying to sync the order rows to the order headers. Yeah, yes. And the fun part about doing something like this is that you said that you can hang yourself if you don't if you're uncareful. Well, we actually ensure that you can only work at the document level. Right. So there is there is no possibility for you, you know, to try to uh, get uh, to try to do aggregation from two documents at once and then send it over because this is literally a. The API and the way that it's implemented will not allow you. You're always working on a single document run. Right. But this all depends on you initially designing this data store correctly to have the a document level that is clearly a transaction. Exactly. Okay. And we actually have a lot of uh, information about how do you design and how do you uh, uh, work the system how do you think about uh, your system in terms of a document, uh, document-based modeling? Mm-hmm. Uh, so in the website, we have literally a whole page just for that particular aspect. And showing you, okay, here is how 
approach design modeling in a relational database. Here is how I approach design modeling in a document database. With all, you know, this is why and this is, uh, this is why not and all of that uh, information, particularly to many scenarios that we covered there. Right. Well, I'm impressed. This wor- totally looks like it's worth taking out for a spin and not just because Orrin invented it. Mm. <laughs> Thank you. Well, Thank you generally speaking, I, your stuff's pretty good, Oren, but yeah. uh, you've you've answered my questions really well, and you answered the hard ones. And <laughs> and that's uh, and that's exactly what we we're trying to do here. If Richard's happy, I'm happy. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But you know what the funny part is? Try to guess what was the absolutely hardest part in building Raven? The query engine. No, no, that was actually very easy. Well, relatively easy. The part that was horrendously difficult was actually, that was literally more difficult than building a database, was building the uh, link provider. The link provider. Interesting, right? Because, hmm. of course, it always thinks relationally. Yeah. It's because it's very, very hard to actually uh, build a link provider that, uh, you know, can actually work for more than the most trivial of assumptions, most trivial of cases. Right. And that is still probably the number one area where people have, oh, I want you to support this condition or that condition. And the, actually, Carl, you probably be, like that. We actually support VB on both the API and the link provider. VB, what's that? And Never heard of it. VB. Never oh, heard of it. Oh, my God. You have been consumed by the C-Shop Menace? No, no. I still love VB. <laughs> I, I can do both. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So things like different expressions that are generated for the same semantically equal queries by the uh, C-sharp and the VB compiler, or just crazy stuff that the compiler do to you when you feed it a seemingly innocent query. Those made working with that very, very hard. Mm. Pretty cool. Yeah. I think that's a show. Is there anything else that we haven't covered, Allende? Uh, the site? Well, that'd be good. RavenDB.net. Just go to Bing and type in RavenDB. <laughs> <laughs> and ha- has anybody ever said to you, uh, nevermore? Or is that... Uh, I don't think that I understand the, the How about term. SQL <laughs> nevermore? <laughs> hmm? SQL nevermore. <laughs> oh, no, no. But I have a lot of people that come to me and say that... Uh, they like it much better that you don't have to think about all of the relational details such as schema or migrations or stuff like that. Yeah, okay. Didn't get the Poe reference uh, then? All right. The Raven, pa- Raven stuff? Yes, yeah, yeah. Bad Growl and Poe. Okay. Thanks uh, again for sharing this with us. It's great stuff. And keep doing what you do, man. We love you. And we love your software. Okay. Thank you very much. All right. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. 
For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Yes, I'm a, a time boy, life is hard.